Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. to report to you that uh, not only that, you have a resident uh, board of director. Where's Mr. Muth? There he is right over there. And uh, he serves on the board. And so you should be well versed in all the Vanguard goodies. We have no debt on this building. Isn't that something? We have no debt at all. Now, some say, well, that's not going to help with, you know, raising funds for the college. Well, actually, it does, because hopefully it tells you that we are frugal and we are careful with the funds that are entrusted to us. I'm glad to report to you in this next picture that we have the largest attendance in our history, the largest attendance, largest enrollment in the history of, of the college. That's good news. And if you look really close, you'll see our president, you'll see our president, uh, Mr. Dirksen, there right in the front. And if you look really close, you'll see a few other people that you know as well, including these people right there. And so uh, we do believe that God is doing something great at the college. Once upon a time, uh, when I went to the college, I went to the college, I'm a double graduate. I graduated in 1980. They didn't offer a bachelor's degree at that time, so I went back in 2000 and graduated again. And so it helps me being a double graduate of the college, but what really helps is to be able to tell you that it does make a difference in people's lives. As we speak today, out of our 1,100 churches across the country, we of Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada churches, we have 151 churches with no pastor. Did you hear me say that? 151 with no pastor. And so what we are doing is not the full answer, but this is part of the answer as we will endeavor to train up leaders to go for what God has called them to do. Now, what we found is this, that a number of people feel called to God in ministry. They feel called to God to do what they're doing, but they feel called very specifically. And sometimes it's not the Lord. Sometimes it's convenience. And so what we're endeavoring to tell our students more and more is that listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Because even though you may feel called to pastor the largest church in Calgary or Edmonton, maybe God is calling you to minister in a place called Empress or in a place called Vulcan. And there's a number of other places that need pastors in our own uh, district right here and right now. This next photograph is a picture of uh, just one of, the, um, uh, one of the classes. There's Pastor Mark McKnight, who is also a, a vice president at the college, and he's uh, serving there. And then the final photograph, you can see just a, a front picture of the college. It costs about $15,500 to uh, pay for a student to come to Vanguard for one year. They pay about $8,500 in tuition. The remaining funds come from faithful people like yourselves. That's just the truth. And so part of the reason I'm here today is to bleed as much money out of you as possible. Amen? Oh, relax. We're not even going to have another offering, I don't think. But I tell you, your church does support the college, and we thank you for that. Thank you to your pastors for understanding the need for the college and supporting the college and leading you in that way. 
Also, thank you to those in this room that are donors. You have chosen to be a donor. You've done something um, above and beyond the call of duty, and uh, you support the college. And if you want to be involved in that aspect, you can talk to me after uh, the service. Please do that. What we'd really like to do, though, is strengthen the hands and the leadership and what God is doing here in this assembly. We don't want you to divert your tithes and offerings to Vanguard College. I kid you not, we do not want that. Maybe for a month or two, but that's it. We don't want you to make a hat. No, seriously, we don't want you to do that. Because there's no blessing in that, right? I've pastored many, many years, and I've had situations where I've had people that are really mission-minded. Let's go, let's go, mission-minded. And they give 100% of all their giving to missions. And then they wonder why there's holes in the carpet. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to understand that that consistent giving of tithes and offerings is part of the biblical mandate, and God will bless you for that. And so I encourage you to do do that. And uh, yes, seek the Lord for what he would have you to do in regards to the college. So thank you in advance for what, you are, or what you're going to do and also for what you have done. Now, the main part of my visit here with you is to tell you that people matter. People really, really matter. I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed in life and you've had your moments where you're overwhelmed. But I had one of those such times and I was driving to Drumheller. I get to preach all over the province, which is absolutely a treat. And as we were traveling down to Drumheller, it was late on a Saturday night because obviously it's too far to drive from Edmonton. So there we were, and uh, it was so dark. It was so black. And the night was so cold, about minus 30 in December. Remember that cold snap? And it was just so beautiful. And I was watching the sky and, and watching the road, and there was nobody in front of me and nobody behind me. And it was just so beautiful, all that beautiful sky. So I pulled over my high-end car, 2004 Honda, and I opened the sunroof, and I pulled over, and I shut the engine off, and uh, Betty Ann got the wrong idea, but anyway, uh, you know, once we got that sorted out, uh, we, we, looked, we looked at the skies, it looked like this, all, it was so beautiful, it was just so gorgeous, and I, it was, I was reminded, and, and we spoke about how faithful God is, and I was reminded, if God can do that, my little problems are nothing for him to solve, and I can trust him, he is worthy of my trust, and he is worthy of your trust, your trust, and Oh, man. Amen. Amen. He is worthy of your trust. In Matthew, pardon me, Luke chapter 15, you'll find some very powerful words. And you can look there uh, in a moment. But I want to remind you of what a very smart guy said. He said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. You don't understand it yourself. And this next picture is a picture of a three-year-old as she stands and she's lifting a, a, a cross and she thinks that somehow she can help out, but she, she sees what needs to be done and she knows what, what she needs to do. So she tries to, to lift up. Obviously, it's a statue. It's not going to move anywhere, but she doesn't know that at her young age. All she knows is that she needs to make a difference. She needs to do something. And so we know that words do make a difference, and what we say to each other makes a difference. How do you like this one in Safeway? Uh, this is a beautiful picture. It's, 
Please use tongue. Do not touch bread. I know you don't want to always just read it and do what it says. You got to think, right? They didn't mean to say what they said, but that's what they did. And so it's important how we approach life. It's important how we approach life. Yeah, don't, don't go there. Amen. As soon as you see that sign, go to a different store. Amen. Okay. In Matthew chapter 15, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Do you notice something, what is being said right off the bat? You know, the tax collectors, in other words, the, the Canada Revenue Service people are gathering around and the sinners to hear what Jesus has to say. And the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, the religious people, they're on the outside and they're just muttering and they're gossiping and they're saying, I don't know why the church is doing this. I don't know why we're doing this. This makes no sense to me. And all the while, Jesus is gathering the, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are coming around to hear what he has to say. How many of you understand that it's very easy for us to slip into the category of being a Pharisee or a teacher that is full of head knowledge of the Word of God and yet useless in the kingdom of God? It's very easy to slip into that. I remember one gentleman talking to me, and I couldn't resist it, and he was telling me how all these different things about the Bible, which are very interesting. It was like trivial pursuit, frankly, but it was interesting because it was somewhat uh, non-consequential because he was telling me what the middle verse in the Bible is and how many chapters there are and how many of them start with this and how many of them start with that. And he, we were in a group in a round circle talking. He was saying all these things. He was putting us in our place. And I had a moment that came to me and it was maybe partly from the Lord and partly from my flesh. And I asked him, how many people have you talked to about Jesus this week? And he turned, as God is my witness, and walked away. And I have never received a Christmas card since. But the point is how easy I can become and you can become what we despise. And we know that the world needs to hear Jesus. And we're expecting somebody else to do it. Surely that's what we pay the pastors for. But that's not the case. God has called all of us to share the good news. And the Bible says, Jesus told this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Oh, it's important. It's important to understand how vital and how important and how critical it is for us to see our neighbor's influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ when we move into our neighborhoods and being that we've moved a number of times over the years because of ministry, 
uh, related things. We have, every time we go into a new community, we say, we're the best thing that ever happened to this community because we're going to be praying for our neighbors. We're going to look for opportunities to point them to Jesus if they don't know Jesus already. And we're believing that God is going to use us as salt and light. And I think that's what God wants for us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to be reaching out on his behalf. He wants us to do what we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't take it on as a burden, as if you've got to somehow save the whole neighborhood. I'm not suggesting that, but there's a fine balance between caring and not caring, and, or there's a fine balance between trusting and being active with your faith, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple of moments. The RCMP have a reference check before any of them can become a part of their training program to become a, an RCMP. And Mike was a burly young man in our congregation, and uh, he was a married man with two children, uh, a butcher by trade, and uh, he asked if he could use me as one of his references because I had the pleasure of being his pastor. And so I agreed, and sometime later I received a phone call from the recruiting officer, and the recruiting officer began to ask me a, a lot of questions. And in those questions, there were so many things I could easily, easily answer because I knew Mike and his family pretty good. And uh, it was an hour-long interview. That's the way they did it at least a number of years ago. But nearing the end of the conversation, the recruiter set uh, up the scene for his final question. He said, let's say Mike is assigned to a remote part of the province where he will need to do his patrol many, many times by himself with no partner. He's driving his patrol car. He's 50 miles away from anything or anyone. It's a deserted back road in northern Alberta. He is now pulling up to a car that is broken down. And as he pulls up to assist the situation, he notices that the driver is a beautiful young woman. In fact, the recruiter said, it's your wife who is the driver of that vehicle. The recruiter said, I have one question for you as we conclude our interview, and this is the question. In the scenario I just described, do you have any concerns for your wife's honor or for your wife's safety? Out of all those questions, I couldn't tell you what he asked me, the specifics. But that question I remember because that question matters to me personally. And when it comes to the things of God, if we can understand what God's perspective is on our neighbor and on our friend, and the realization that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save and make salvation available for those people, it will help us with the perspective. It'll help us with the understanding that God really has an investment here. God has an investment. God didn't just say, well, I hope things work out. He made a huge investment. In the book called People Over Profit, the author reminds us of the history of Domino's Pizza. I trust you are not hungry. They, like many others, started off so fantastic, but things changed. Uh, it's like a human baby. How many of you have a baby in the house? Or it's not in the house, but you, you, have a, you know you see that little baby, and I have some wonderful 
uh, grandbabies, and, and you know, they're so gorgeous. You can't imagine them ever growing into, to, you know, six, seven, eight, and then into the teenage years and, and, and into adulthood. You can hardly imagine such things. And, and, and you know, sometimes the, what reflects as a babe is so beautiful and so wholesome and so right. But as time goes on, that can get a little bit jaded because of this thing called life. So Domino's Pizza was like that. They started off such, with such purity and such great ideas and great thoughts. And in 1960, these two brothers, you know, they, their, their whole idea was high quality, fast delivery. And they grew to 1,500 stores. And by 2009, their stock had plummeted to the lowest mark that they could imagine. People were now saying that the crust tastes, tastes like cardboard. The sauce tastes like ketchup. They were not even using real cheese anymore. They were using an oil derivative. What is that? An oil derivative. And so many people were saying, this is over. It's done. But in 19, pardon me, 2014, their stocks started soaring to new heights again because they returned to honesty. They returned to the real thing. Now, bear with me. We'll get to the real meat of this in a moment, but these are important setup moments for us because we need to understand that many people in the world as well start really positive. Remember the guy by the name of Sam Walton, the owner and the starter, the, 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 the first guy for Walmart. How many of you still love Walmart? Not many hands at all. How many of you used to love Walmart? Just as many few hands. <laughs> Don't work with me at all. Have you ever tried to return something to Walmart in recent years? Oh my. Oh my. I just bought it yesterday. Sir, fill this out. <laughs> We don't honor that, and we don't do this, and you should have read the fine print, et cetera, et cetera. I visited one Walmart in eastern Canada. Okay, I won't say where it was, Brantford. And uh, as we're walking up to the store, I kid you not, I see this black, these black dots all over the place, and I'm like, what is that? And I look closer, and I realize it is people walking into the store who have discarded their gum, and they haven't bothered to clean it off in months and months. And it's just all over the place. I mean, they had let it go that bad. Just let it go. And people are rating Walmart lower and lower. And they're saying that they're all washed up and all the rest of it. But they too are in the process of trying to return to their roots. Because in their beginning, they were honest. They, were, they, were, all their, they all got shares and they were all pulling together and it was coming together beautifully. You can see where I'm going with this eventually. And then the car companies. The car companies were on the brink of collapse. How many of you remember the Pinto? Some of you older guys. Remember the Pinto? Oh my. Oh my, I mean, they, it's a little beautiful cheap car and it had the gas tank at the back. And if somebody rear-ended you, it exploded and blew up. It was hilarious unless you were in the car. And people died. 
And the makers of the Pinto found this out, and they were having lawsuits come against them. So they had an executive meeting of all the Pharisees, and they got together, and they discussed it, and they said, well, how much will it cost us to have a recall? Well, it's going to cost $121 million if we have them all recalled, and we fixed the problem. But if we don't fix the problem... The people who die and the people who get maimed, the lawsuits are going to cost us $50 million. And so as an executive, they decided, let's go with the $50 million. And people continued to get killed and maimed. And I could tell you story after story, and you know that they're true about these different automakers, and these three in particular, not just these ones. And if you have an investment or you have some sort of thing going on there, I don't care. But the truth of it is, the truth of it is, they were dishonest, brutally dishonest. But they came to a moment where they said, you know, if we keep going like this, we are done. We have got to get back to our roots. we got to get back to being honest we got to stop. And so what they did, you may recall, they actually went public. They actually went public and made public statements and said things like, we're sorry. They said things like, we have failed you. We have let you down. We are going to change. We're not going to continue on this cycle of behavior. And as a result of that, many of them have had absolute incredible turnaround moments Toyota was so bad at one point, you may recall, they actually shut their plants down because they had to fix the problems. No longer was it okay for it just to be going as it goes. Well, there's a cycle of behavior. And the first one I want to talk about is honesty. This cycle is found in Domino's. This cycle is found at Ford. It's it's found in all kinds of corporations in Walmart. It's found, yes, it's found, my friends, in the church. It's found in the home. It's actually found in the home. And this is where we start, honesty. And this is where we would like to stay. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17. We, we want to camp there. We want to stay there. We want to continue to be honest people. We don't want to, you know, make a difference. I mean, we sometimes joke about it, but we really shouldn't. We, in, in, in Christian circles, we talk evangelistically speaking. In other words, we're lying. Of, no, we can't go there. We can't go there. We have to be honest, and we have to be people that are telling the truth all the time as the Holy Spirit helps us to do so. Well, then we move into this cycle, part of the cycle, which is efficient. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. And efficiency isn't all bad, but it gets really close, really quick to this other thing that is called deceptive, being deceptive. And the Bible says there, you shall not have in your bag, inaccurate weights, a heavy and a light, so you can cheat others. Back in the day, they had the, the scale, you know, the way it was, like this, and they, they would have a certain, certain weight to offset it that was for, for buying and a certain one for selling, and they were cheating people, and the Word of God says, don't cheat people. And this is what happens. We get into that stage where we're no longer doing what God has called us to do. And then finally, of course, is the... The point, the point where we say we're sorry. 
So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. God wants us to do that. So let's talk about the church for a minute. Because I, I, th- these examples can be easily applied to what sometimes happens in God's church. Now, I purposely have not had a chat on this level at all with Pastor uh, Jess or with Pastor Dave. I have not chatted with them about this whatsoever. So if I hit a nerve, that is wonderful. Amen? Because I, I, they, they didn't set me up in any way. Okay, so what about us? What about the church of Jesus Christ? What about the decisions that we are making? I know your pastors well enough to know that they are pushing you as much as is appropriate toward the community, reaching out, knowing that God wants this community saved. And it's a big community, and we're not alone. And there's many other churches that are a part of the same call and the same ministry. But God wants it done. And God doesn't want us to do it by cutting into the things that matter. God doesn't want us to do what we're called to do by starting to be a little dishonest. He doesn't want us to start doing things that are are a little bit questionable. He wants us to still be people of prayer. He wants us to be people of honesty and integrity. He wants us to be that sort of people. I'm grieved to tell you that at times when we were pastoring in Woodstock, Ontario, for our 15 years there, glorious time, you heard about it when I was pastoring Uh, Many of you did when I was pastoring Church in the Hills, telling you about different aspects of it. But I was so grieved at times when people would come, and I would be encouraging people to to come to the assembly. They'd say, no way, I'm not going there. So-and-so, he's a rotten businessman. He, He cheated me. And they wouldn't come because somebody in the congregation was a cheat. And I, of course, I encouraged them that there was room for one more. And, uh... I was very direct, and still am, uh, in kindness. Like, come on, buddy, you'll fit in. (laughs) Like, you know, like, come on. But in the same breath, how sad it is that we would profess Christ and not do what God has called us to do, and we have not acted in a way that is pleasing to Him. Think about that cycle, how honesty can move to efficiency, and then it moves into these other categories that cause us grief and pain. Think about it in the home. Think about it in the home. I've often said this, and this is so true. Anybody in the engagement period, anybody can, can behave for six months or a year. Amen? Anybody can do that. And so you need to really hear the Lord. I had the pleasure of speaking to our student body at the uh, college here a little while ago, talking to them, yes, about giving and about how you handle your finances and all those good things. And I told them that the number one thing in your life decision is your decision to follow Jesus Christ. And everybody said, and everybody said, work with me. Yes. And the second one is who you're going to marry. And the third one is how you're going to handle your finances. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. Well, it's pretty spiritual when you're out of money. It becomes very spiritual because you're crying out to God in a spiritual way. And the truth is, my friends, you need to know these things. But in the family, it starts off with honesty. It starts off, honey, I love you. Honey, you're so sweet. Now, I'm going to just totally... Uh, condemn myself by this next illustration, but it's so fresh, I got to share it. Some of you saw it on Facebook. 
But it was just such a good idea. I think it was my wife's idea, unless it goes over really well. But we thought, you know, we've been together 44 years, married couple for 44 years, married as teenagers. She should have been arrested. And uh, a wonderful, wonderful life, you know. And so we're thinking, okay, it's Valentine's Day, and so what do you do, right? So, so we're walking in, in uh, Walmart, yes, and there it was, the, the rack of all those cards. And so she picked out a card. I picked out one. It was $9 for a card, $9. And so we stood there, and we looked at each other, and we said, okay. I said, okay, so I read mine to her, and she read hers to me. We exchanged the kiss, and we turn and we walked out. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. And we put the money toward Chinese food. <laughs> I mean, really, guys. I mean, you, you, the authentic, real. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, no, no, he's cheap. Yeah, he's cheap. It was her idea. Okay, but... <laughs> Now we worked it together. But the truth is, my friends, you, you know how it is? You, you, you start off so honest and so full of integrity and so full of accuracy in your words and your comments and your actions. All of it is so cool and so good and so right. And it should be, it should be, yes, amen. But it needs to continue that way, even up to the 44th year and beyond. You've got to keep it to that place and keep going back to that moment of honesty, which requires moments of, honey, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And that is needed to bring us back to ground zero. And if anything awesome is going to happen in your life here this morning, it's going to require a moment of, I'll say the R word, repentance. It'll require that, whether it's in the home or whether it's in your business. Maybe you're a business owner today and the lights are just going on for you and you're going, by. I have put profit over people like crazy and I am, our customer service is terrible and maybe the lights are just going on for you. But to make it happen, you're going to have to have a moment of, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to turn a different direction. And sometimes as a church, we need to do the same thing. Because what you guys have done, you've amalgamated two churches with similar visions, but different. And you may be way beyond this point. So, so and if you are, fine, just forget what I'm going to say. Just hear it and, you know, entertain me for a moment. But, you know, the truth of it is, you know, you're going to have to let some things go. It's like I've had to say to many churches, including the Church on the Hills, your future is bright, it's going to be awesome, but it's going to look different than you thought. It's going to look different than you thought. That doesn't mean you should bail. That doesn't mean you need to try to find somebody else with the exact same vision that you think is right. No, it means that you need to prayerfully look at it really closely and say, well, what, is my, what are my real motives here? Well, what, do I, what am I really looking for here? And in the home, what am I looking for? Am I looking for peace and harmony? Because if I am, I've got to be honest. I have to be honest with myself, and I have to be honest with my spouse. Stay in the honest zone. Here's a picture of Ken Gates, an incredible guy. You may know him. Uh, he's a wonderful man. He was at the minister's gathering in Banff a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, 
and he shared with us many things. I've known him for many, many years. And the Bible says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And I won't tell you his whole story. It's too long. It's too much to it, except to say that this man went up north into Northwest Territories with nothing. And God said, I will use you. And God used him. And this next photograph is a picture of the hospital that he founded, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada founded and, uh, in Hay River, Northwest Territories. And here's a picture of, of one of the churches that were founded uh, by Ken Gates. And here's the current pastor. And the next photograph is, a, is, a, is a, another uh, church building that, was, that, was, uh, that is there now at Hay River. And then the Dene Reserve, there's another one there at Hay River. Um, and, and these are all, there's about eight, actually back in the day, about ten are these different places that God used Ken Gates to start? What is God calling you to start? What is God calling you to be a part of? I hope you're listening to his voice. I hope you're hearing what he is saying to you. Journey Church has a tremendous future. And God is going to use you. I pray that the next time I come, I mean, this is a great congregation. Look at this. But I pray that the next time I come, that in the first service, that this place will be right full. And in the second service, this building will be right full. And it can go way beyond that. But I want to get a visit between the next stage, you know. So, so I, mean, I mean, honestly, friends, I remember talking to the people from Northwest Family Church in this room. I remember talking to you. Some of you are here today. And I remember saying, just believe God for something awesome. And it's happening. It looks different than you thought. But it's happening. To God be praise. To God be the honor. And to God be the glory. I draw to a conclusion now, but I draw for a while. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, it says, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. None will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Hmm. That could be unpacked for a, 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 lot of, a lot of sermons. But I want us to understand this. That God understands and God compares, Jesus compares our flirtation with the world and our embracing of the world as adultery. That's how he sees it. He sees us as, as wicked and adulterous as we embrace the things of this world, and we do not yield what belongs to God, to God, which is our all. And we need to understand that God is merciful. You say Calgary can't be saved, you're wrong, it can. You say Nineveh can't be saved, you are wrong. Nineveh was saved, and God used Jonah. God used Jonah to do a remarkable work. Even though he was a reluctant participant, he actually was used of God in a mighty way. Don't be a reluctant participant. Pull together. Believe together. I go back to the beginning part of our, our, our message here today in Luke chapter 15. When the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered together, but all the religious people were just muttering, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Allow me to just refer back to Woodstock again when we first got there. We had a, a wonderful group of saints, but it was completely ingrown. It really was. 
wonderful people. Did they love Jesus? Oh, yes, absolutely. But I remember as the Holy Spirit would lead and we would be teaching and preaching and we got some people upset. I don't know how that happens, but we got some people upset. And some people, you know, were going to leave and we encouraged that. And uh, not to be cruel, but they were already saved. It's not like they weren't going to get, you know, they were already saved. Sure, go on down the street. No problem. You say, well, we're very glad you're not our pastor. <laughs> Me too. Anyway, we, we went on to, I'm messing with you. Listen, we, we had to go to that place. And some of the people started murmuring and started muttering. And no longer were they coming to be a part of what God was doing, but they were coming to be a part of what was happening in the foyer. And it was muttering, yak, 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 yak. And it was being used of Satan to demise what God was doing. And by and by, God got a hold of some of those hearts, and some did go down the street, that's fine. But God got a hold of some of those blessed people. And there was a change of heart. And they became part of the people that wanted to be there. They were there for the meeting, for the, for the prayer, for the service, for the pulling together. Yes, there's room for differences of opinion. Of course there is. But they knew the proper way to express that. And it wasn't by wagging their tongues in the foyer. Now, this would never happen here. I know that. I know. But if it ever does, and somebody approaches you and says, well, what did you think about that? We'll say, well, nothing but positive. Because anything else needs to be directed to the people that it is directly about. Amen? So if you come to me and say, well, I think this about Michaela, and I think this about her and that about her, you should say it to her. You want to stay honest and stay in the groove and stay where God wants you to be. I digress. This last frame is an opportunity for you to consider the most important part of the whole Bible. It's the part where Jesus has suffered, and he is suffering as he's hanging on the cross. And he has been stripped, and he's hanging there, and he's literally being ridiculed. The Bible says at one point that the thieves who were crucified on either side of him were hurling insults at him. If you really are the Christ, come off the cross. Come off of it. Save yourself and save us, please. I mean, they were just, they were desperate because they were dying men on the cross that had no hope whatsoever. Jesus knew his purpose. His pain and anguish had a purpose. These other individuals were so lost. But the Bible tells us at some point, one of the, one of the thieves came to his senses, maybe as his the life blood flowed out of his own body, he realized that this is truly the Christ who is being crucified here beside me. And he calls out to the other thief. He says, do you not fear God? We deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing. And then he says these very famous words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If there's any verse in the Bible that gives me hope and gives me confidence and gives me joy, it's this one because I know that I don't deserve eternal life except through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. 
And when this thief on the cross is told, today you will be with me in paradise, I believe the word of God. I believe it is true. Now, should we grow? Should we accept Christ in a moment? Yes. And should we, should we grow and change and be discipled and affect our world for Jesus? Yes. But when you are being crucified on the cross, your salvation is very clearly only in Jesus. And it's the same for you and me. Never think for a moment, even though I've pastored all these years, I've seen scores of people come to Jesus, praise his holy name. I am not saved by anything I have ever done. I'm still 100% saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and him alone. Nothing else, nothing. And it's the same for you as well. It's an honor to serve. It's an honor to pull together. It's an honor to trust God in all things. So I have to ask this question. I have to ask this question because it's so important. Over the last little while, we've seen a number of people accepting Jesus Christ in services like this. And I know it's just a starting point, but it's an important starting point. I had a starting point back in the day where I said, yes. And that was a starting point. And then the, the maturing and the growing and the discipling took place after that. But that starting point was vital. And if I had a drop dead the day that I, had, that I accepted Jesus as my Savior in that little church back in Ontario, I would have gone instantly into the presence of God because I was just as saved then as I am saved now. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lord. Not about me. Not about you. It's about the Lord. And so without further ado, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me, please. I'm not going to ask you to step forward in the altar area this morning. I'm not going to ask you to do that. What I am going to ask you to do is consider this. You may be here today, first time or 50th time, it doesn't matter, but you have never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never actually invited him into your life. You've never said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And you want to do that today. You want, to, you want that starting point now. You want that starting point today. I want to ask you if you will raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it. And then once I see it, you can take it down again. And then I'm going to include you in my closing prayer. And then I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Dave. That's what we're going to do. And so I'm just asking that question here and now. If that is you, raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it. And then you can take it down again once I see it, okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We won't belabor this part of our service, but it's not going to be rushed either. We'll take a moment, just a moment, just scanning the congregation. Just nice and high so I can see it. And then you can take it down again. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you that you love us. Father, I didn't see any hands today. And Lord, I want to hope that that means everybody in here is saved. I want to hope that everybody in here has said yes to Jesus Christ.
Father, if that's the case, Lord, would you lay a burden on our hearts to bring somebody next week, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor who doesn't know you? Because I know that the pastors of this church preach the gospel and the opportunity is given often. And so, Lord, would you help us to bring somebody here that they could hear the word? Lord, we'd, ideally, we'd lead them to you ourselves, and maybe that's what's going to happen. But, Lord, would you give us an opportunity to bring somebody to this place that they would hear the gospel, they would hear the honesty, they would hear and feel the love, and they would know that they are very, very special and that they, too, could be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.